Did you know that the Bible ends as it begins? We call this the, the bookends of the Bible, that God dwells with man. That when God created the world, he made it perfect. And the crowning, um, the crowning jewel of his creation was mankind, Adam and Eve. And, and they were different from the rest of creation because he made them in his image and he breathed life into them. And they lived in perfect fellowship, perfect union with God. But as we fast forward to the end of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, Revelation ends with God dwelling with his people just as we began in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But you notice that your Bible is longer than just two books. And so what happens in the middle? Well, what happens in the middle is redemption. That though there is a fall, that though this, this relationship between God and man is broken, that God had from the beginning of the foundation of the world chosen to save His people from their sins by a Redeemer, namely His Son. And so when we think about Christmas... Think about Christmas, we think about the fact that God came to earth to fix the fact that what had He had designed, that we might dwell with Him, that it had been broken, that He came to fix that, to redeem His people, that one day we may dwell with Him again in an even better, richer sense, a greater sense than even Adam and Eve enjoyed in the garden. This is called the Emmanuel Principle. The Emmanuel Principle, the idea that God is with us. That, that's what Emmanuel means, God with us. Now certainly when we come to our text today, we, we are introduced to Jesus as Emmanuel, quoting from Isaiah chapter 7. But the principle of Emmanuel, God with us, or God with His people, is not just a New Testament concept. It's not just something that we finally get to in the New Testament. Rather, it underpins everything in the Old and the New Testament. That God would dwell with His people. We, we saw the gold standard of when God dwelt with His people in the Garden of Eden. In fact, when God created Adam and Eve, they were not sinners. They were perfect. They did not have the corrupt nature like you and I have. They were not broken coming into this world when He created them. There was nothing that stood between God and man. And we're, we're told that He even walked in the cool of the garden. We're not even entirely sure what that means for God to do that. They were naked and not ashamed. Adam and Eve were naked not just physically, though that was part of it, but they were naked emotionally and spiritually. They didn't have any shame or guilt. And so they had that perfect relationship, the shalom, the, the full blessing, the full peace with God as they dwelt with God in the garden. But then something happened, didn't it? We don't have a dog currently. We have a cat who seems to run our household. But when I was a child, we had a dog. His name was Bandit. It was my 11th birthday present. And Bandit would always come and he would welcome us when we got home. But sometimes he didn't. Do you know why he didn't? Because he had done something wrong. He wouldn't, if he was not at the door, you knew that there was going to be some cleaning up to do. Or he had gotten into the chocolates under the Christmas tree again. 
that, that dog ate pounds of chocolate over his lifetime. Praise God he never died because of it. This is what shame and guilt does, doesn't it? It removes fellowship. It calls us to hide. This is exactly what Adam and Eve did. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they hid from God. Their relationship, their fellowship, their dwelling with God had been broken. And so when God calls out, hey, where are you guys? It's not because he doesn't know. This is much a, as much of a relational question as it is a physical question. Their relationship had been broken. They hid from God. Something now existed between them and God. And perhaps the greatest consequence of what Adam and Eve went through because of the fall, because of the curse of the fall, was that they could no longer live in the Garden of Eden. They could not be in the presence, the immediate presence of God, for to do so would lead to their death. But God had not given up on the Emmanuel principle, God with us. He had not given up on His people. And so throughout the Old Testament, we see God making ways for Him to be with His people and for His people to dwell with Him. But it was no longer like the garden. We see this in the tabernacle. God gave the tabernacle, the designs of the tabernacle, and commanded His people to build it after He called them out of, uh, out of Egypt in the Exodus. And if, and if you read the designs, if you read uh, the plans and the construction of the tabernacle, it's really well thought through, isn't it? Nothing, nothing about it is haphazard. Nothing was added on as they went. This was God's design that His people might dwell with Him and He might dwell with with his people. Even though on the day, each day of the year, Leviticus 16 tells us the day of atonement, the high priest, he could go one time into the Holy of Holies, but he didn't go empty-handed, did he? He went with blood. See, even though the tabernacle was the way that God could dwell with his people and his people could dwell with him in the promised land, it wasn't perfect, was it? It was a pattern of what was to come. And even when the, the, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, there would have to be so much incense there that he could not even look upon the Ark of the Covenant, even as he sprinkled it with blood. We, uh, we went to the Navarre Pier yesterday uh, to, to fish and just had a great time. I'd never been to the Navarre Pier. Uh, and what struck me, though, as we got to the end of the pier was how much blood there was staining the deck. And there's just blood everywhere. And not only the blood that had dried there, but the blood that was being let out of the, the, the fish. There was this huge sark somebody killed. And there was just blood everywhere. You know, a lot of times we forget how much blood is necessary for salvation. See, in the Old Testament, when God's people would go to the tabernacle and later to the temple... Y'all, there was just blood everywhere. It was, there were, there were uh, channels dug, first in the dirt and later laid in stone, leading away from the altar, that the blood would have somewhere to go. And if you know blood, it has a very distinct smell. And so as you went towards the tabernacle, as you went towards the temple, you could smell the blood. It was a, a multi-sensory experience. And this was the price of what was needed to come into the presence 
of God. But God would tell the day, the next development in the Emmanuel principle, God with His people. He would tell the day in Isaiah chapter 7 that would change everything. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. The very principle, the thing that God had been doing with his people through blood, through the sacrifices, through grace and mercy, the forgiveness of their sins, ultimately it pointed to Emmanuel coming himself. The principle was personified as God came to earth. No longer would God dwell in a temple or a tent, but he would come and he would tent or tabernacle amongst his people. He would dwell with his people. This is what we read in John chapter 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word dwelt in the Greek means to tabernacle, to pitch a tent and live with. This is what God did at Christmas. Did you know that? That we, we can get so wrapped up in everything that's going on around us at Christmas time. That's a lot of fun stuff. But in the end, it's about God making sure that we could be saved, that we could be in fellowship with Him, and that we who were designed to dwell with Him, He came to redeem us that we might dwell with Him. How did this happen? Well, in our text, we read in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We talked last week of the genealogy of Jesus. He is in the line of David. It's important that he was in the line of David because this was the line of the Messiah. And Joseph and Mary were engaged. They were living in Nazareth, apart. They were living in Nazareth. But the problem is that's the wrong city. It's the wrong town for the Messiah to be born in. They were engaged Rather, actually, they were betrothed. To be betrothed in those days was much stronger than our engagement. In fact, if it were broken, it had to be broken through legal means, through a divorce. And while they had been betrothed to each other for, for some amount of time, Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant. Now, how would you would have responded to that situation? Here's your fiancé. You know the child's not yours. You know how these things work. And so you can imagine the surprise and alarm and, and the sadness. Can you imagine the sadness and the hurt that must have come over Joseph? Here is the woman he loved. He was a godly man, this Joseph. He loved Mary, and we read in verse 19 that he was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. He didn't want to make a big deal out of it. He, he could have. He could have publicly shamed her. But he didn't, even though from a human perspective it appeared that he was engaged to an adulteress. So he was planning on divorce, divorcing her quietly. But then an angel, probably Gabriel, but we're not told in the text who it was, appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him in verse 20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now there are a whole lot of supernatural births in Scripture when we get back to our study of Abraham, we'll see one soon with the birth of Isaac. Sarah will be 90 when she has Isaac. But, but this is different. There are a lot of supernatural births in the Old Testament, but that's because God blessed the natural order of things. But this is different. 
God circumvents the natural order of conception, and Mary becomes pregnant by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel had already told Mary this in Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Why is the virgin birth so important? Because Emmanuel was coming. God was coming to earth. God was coming to solve the problem of our guilt and our shame and the power of sin that clings so closely to us. See, if Jesus had been the natural child of Joseph and Mary, then there had been nothing different about him. Instead, at Christmas time, Emmanuel, the second person of the Trinity, God Himself, God the Son, He came. He came to earth and became man. So that when you looked upon the the child Jesus, or later the man Jesus, you saw both God and man. 100% both. That divine man. Emmanuel had come. If you looked at Jesus walking down the street, here was Emmanuel, God with us. He was not coming just to hang out with His people, though He would certainly spend quality time with them. Rather, He came with a mission, Emmanuel did. We see this in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. How do you name your children? Do you have a tradition in your family? In my family, it's customary to, to name people after folks in your family line. That's what we did with Thomas. We like to name Thomas. So we went and found somebody in our family line that you know, had the same name so we could, so we could name him Thomas. Um, you know, sometimes people flip through a book and then sometimes you hope people didn't put a lot of thought into it. At least you hope they didn't with, with that name. In Jesus' day, though, names were really important. And you would give children names that you hoped they would grow into, that would define them. It would be like a blessing over their life. And, and so when the angel Gabriel tells Mary, or he tells Joseph here, or some angel does, his name will be called Jesus, the Hebrew name is Yeshua, which is short for Yehoshua. We might call it Joshua. That's what we call it in the Old Testament. Do you know what Jesus means? you know what Joshua means? It means God saves. This is why we need Christmas. This is why we need Christmas to be much more than Hallmark Christmas. Much more than Macy's Day Parade Christmas. Much more than ooey-gooey feeling Christmas. We need Christmas because we need salvation. And Christ came with a mission. The second person of the Trinity was born into this world in a stable. You know, there there are many people that we look to, many things we look to to save us, to heal us. We we look to the police to protect us. We look uh, to medicine to save us from infection. Soldiers often rescue innocent folks from from enemies. But, But none of these things, the most powerful powers, the most powerful forces, the most powerful strengths on earth can do nothing to save us from our greatest enemy, And that is the enemy of our sin. Did you know that you're a sinner? Come hang out with me. You'll see that I'm a sinner real quickly, right? Did you know you're a sinner? For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Guess what? That includes you. 
You're not excluded from that statement. And because of that, there is a moral debt that exists between you and God. And only one person can fix that. And that is the God-man Jesus. This is what he came to do, to save us from our sins. How did he do this? Well, we we read here in in verse 23, Gabriel's going to quote, or excuse me, the angel, we assume it's Gabriel, the Isaiah passage. What's his name? Emmanuel. See, in the Old Testament, God was Emmanuel. God with his people. And guess who comes to earth? God. God himself comes to deal with our greatest problem, that of sin. That it would be very costly, wouldn't it? Because we cannot divorce Christmas from Good Friday and Easter, can we? It came with this purpose. What's the best gift you have ever received? Can you think of it? Or when you're a child, you can't wait to run down the steps. can't wait for your, your parents to wake up. Perhaps you don't wait for them to wake up. And you get to the, the gift, and, and, it's, and it's exactly what you want. And you shake it, and, and it makes all the noise you think it does. And then you notice that it's drenched with blood. That would probably change things, wouldn't it? But this is our greatest gift. And it is that Christ would shed his blood on the cross for us. That he would live a life of active obedience, of fulfilling all the things that we have not done, fulfilling the law, doing what the law could not do. And then in his passive obedience upon the cross as he received the wrath of God, as he paid for our sins that you and I have done in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. This is what Emmanuel, Jesus, came to do. This is the price. This is the price for our relationship of being restored with God. Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Don't you love that His grace is defined as the riches of His grace? He's not paltry. He doesn't have just a little bit of grace. He's got an abundant, not just abundant, a never-ceasing, infinite amount of grace. He'll never run out of it because He is, by definition, grace and love and mercy. And He has poured out His wrath upon His Son that we who could not dwell with Him, that we might dwell with Him forever. And so Joseph takes Mary as his wife. They begin to live together, but they, they refrain from intimacy until Jesus had been born, lest there be any confusion about whose child this is. And Joseph will take his bride to Bethlehem. This was where the Messiah was meant to be born. And God moved heaven and earth. He moved all the Roman history, all the Roman empire to get his child, God the Son, born by a virgin, to get him to Bethlehem. Because in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Each family had to return to his ancestral town. And the ancestral town of Joseph was Bethlehem. They got there just in time, and Jesus was born there. And this is how hope came into this world. Do you need hope? Do you need hope? Hope came into the world as Emmanuel. God came to dwell with us. His name is Jesus because he came to save us from our sins. And now we live in in a strange time, a time of tension. 
Because we live between the first and the second comings of Emmanuel. We live between the first and second advents of the Christ. And now He dwells with us by His Spirit in our hearts. But we still live in a world of hurt. We still live in a pain in which marriages struggle. In which poverty and injustice still run rampant. We live in a world in which people don't have enough to eat. We live in a world that is very much imperfect, is very flawed, and very messed up. But Christ is coming again. And this time He will not come as a babe. This time He will come as a triumphant King, Emmanuel, will come again. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And when He comes, the dwelling place of God will be with man forever. See, we started in Genesis. We started in Genesis 1 where, uh, and 2 where God is walking in the cool of the day with His people, where, where Adam and Eve are dwelling with God in an amazing sense. And we finish with Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and here it is, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And so we pray, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for sending your Son that we might have salvation. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We thank you for the riches, for the abundance of your grace and mercy. Lord, I pray that in this Christmas season that you would help us not only to rejoice in the first coming of Christ, but as we anticipate and pray for the second coming of Emmanuel. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.